anyways, today we are going to talk about the impact of a father. I want to welcome all you fathers. If you're Father's Day, will you just, if you're a father today here, will you just stand up? Let's honor the fathers today. Come on. It's a big deal. A lot of room. Praise God. You guys can be seated. I want to thank you guys. You know, um, Debbie and I, Debbie's here in the, in the front row with me. This is my wife. We've been married for 22 years. And we've, we've got, I, I think, a great marriage, but it did not start out that way. Anyone have issues at the beginning of their marriage like us? We're the only ones, few of you, good deal. We're not the only ones in the room. In fact, Debbie and I came from completely opposite type of families. I mean, I came from a family that was very loud. I mean, we had TVs in every room, and they were all on all the time, and my mom was really loud, and, you know, Debbie's family, there's no, nothing's on. It's so quiet, and, and you know, you go to the... Thanksgiving for the Cowboys game. You can't even hear the game because they have it so low. I'm like, this is terrible. I hate this, you know. And her, her, her parents never fight. I mean, never fight. Mine fight like three times a day. It's like a regular thing for us. I can remember coming home from church one day and my mom and dad are in a fight. My mom jumps out of the car on the street and she's walking. And she's, my dad's like, get in the car, woman. I'm going, please, mom, get in the car. It's embarrassing, you know. And, but this is the kind of families, you know, we kind of came up as she was a straight A student. I was a straight student. That's kind of how it worked. And, and uh, so then we get married. And our first month, we had this knockout drag out. And I'm thinking, we're communicating. <laughs> she thinks we're getting a divorce. You know, this is not good. Not good. And, and it's really been a trial, really, to learn how to just be a husband. And then a couple years into our marriage, we, ha- we have a kid. And now you got to learn how to be a father. And I got to tell you, it's been a journey of just learning what does it mean to really be a father and really what is the impact that fathers have. I mean, some of you guys know this, but there's some really cool facts about fathers. I'm going to just give you a few. Before I do it, let's just pray and ask God just come in and just be here this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a great father. Father, that's the most fun fact, Lord, that God, you are our father and you love us. You love us as the perfect dad. You're there for us. You never leave us or forsake us. You're good to us. And, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for this. Every single father that's here, but every single woman and child that's here, Lord, I just pray, God, that you just bless them today. Lord, they would feel your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone say amen. amen. You want me to do this one now? We're switching it up. That's good. I love it. It's like musical microphones. Here we go. <clears throat> Here's a cool fact. I don't know if you guys know this. I learned this since I became a men's pastor. Became a men's pastor at Gateway Church about six years ago. Before that, I worked with children and youth. And I found this out, that when you get a child saved first, there's a 3.5% chance you'll get the rest of the family saved. It's a pretty big deal. It's good to go after children. We want to we go after children because when we reach the child, we reach the next generation. You reach a mom first, there's a 17% chance to reach the rest of the family. That's even better. We, you know, we want women's ministry is a big deal. But you reach the man first, there's a 93% chance. You reach the rest of the family. That's a big deal. What, what does that mean? It means the father has an impact on the family. You know, we live in a day and age when you watch any TV show, it's no longer the father that has the impact. The father's this bumbling idiot. Are you with me? And we've kind of lost the power of what it means to be a father. In fact, i got to be honest with you. I didn't have a great father. I had a great mother, who had a, and I had a dad, but my dad really gave a lot of the spiritual leadership, if you will, to my mom. He kind of sat back. And one time when I asked him when I was in college, how come you were never at the games? How come you never were there for me? How come you were never, you know, spiritually leading us in the home? He goes, because your mom always did it. And I thought, that's a horrible thing to say. 
But you know what? That's what we learned. It's what his dad taught him. And for most of us, it's not even a criticism. We just don't know. We don't know what really is the impact we have as dads and what our role really is. And so a lot of us get lost in this journey. We get lost in what the world tells us to do. We, we forget what it means to be a father. Listen to this. The only, uh, one of the curses, it's in Exodus twenty two twenty four says it's, if a man doesn't treat widows and orphans well, the curse will be, uh, God's wrath will become hot and he will kill him with the sword and his wives will be widows and his children fatherless. Why is that a curse? Because a fatherless family is a negative impacted family. You can look up stats after stats after stats. The Department of Justice loves to tell you about them. That a fatherless homes or absentee dads, which means the dads are there, but they're not really there. The stats on these guys, it's off the charts. In fact, any problem you can look in America today, you can take it back to one person, the father. But here's what I know. If the fathers are the problem, they're also the solution. Amen? I don't know if you heard me what I just said. I said if the fathers are the problems, they're also the solution. Do you understand that? If the father has that much impact, he also has that much impact the other way. They did a study at a prison. They had all the, at Mother's Day, that Hallmark said, hey, we'll give out free Hallmark cards to all the prisoners that want to send a mom a, a, a Hallmark card. About 95% of the prisoners took them up on it. Got a free card, wrote it out to mom. They thought that was a great success. Let's do it at Father's Day. So Father's Day, they did the same deal. Not one prisoner wanted a Father's Day card. Now, one prisoner, because most of the men in prison are struggling because of a lack of a nurturing father. How many know God is a good father? Come on, amen? God is a good father. Why does this matter? Because, guys, it matters because whether you know it or not, you are the spiritual leader in the home. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you don't feel like it or not, whether you admit it or not, in fact, in my notes, I wrote this thing up. It says, men, we are the spiritual barometers of our families. We set the spiritual temperature of our household. If we're on fire for God, our families will follow. Likewise, if we are cold for God, our families will follow. We have the power to escalate or de-escalate the problems in our homes. With our words, we speak life or death. We are living for God. When we are living for God, our children will follow. When we are living for ourselves, our children will do the same. Your wife may look like the spiritual leader in your family, but in God's eyes, you are the leader. God has set this thing up. It's an authority issue. God loves authority. He loves authority because he doesn't live in a democracy. He lives in a kingdom. You guys ever heard of that? And in a kingdom, the king is the supreme. He's the authority, and it kind of goes down the line. And he sets everything up in its right authority. And when the father is aligned in his right authority, God's blessing flows on that family. When the father's not in the right authority, God's blessing is hindered being on that family. And it doesn't mean we don't want women to be spiritual. It doesn't mean we don't want women to be strong. I want my wife to be as strong and powerful as she can possibly be. Because here, this is what I know. My wife and I are fighting this war together. Back to back, shoulder to shoulder, we're going against the enemy of our home. We need each other. But if I let my wife be the only one that's strong in the home, we're lacking that authority that God has. Are you following me? 
So we as men, we got to take up our place. And so I want to just talk about some things in my own life where I've learned how to be the spiritual leader and really struggled in this area if, if you want to believe it. Because the reality is I didn't see it in my home. And so it's been something I've had to learn. And here's what I know. I meet with guys every day. I met with a guy just the other day who was crying out to me because he was struggling in his relationship with his wife. and He's trying to figure out how to be the spiritual leader of his home. Most men have never been trained in this. It's not that you're ignorant. It's not that you don't care. It's not that you don't love God. It's not that you don't want to be the spiritual leader. We just have never been trained. What does it mean to be the spiritual leader? So here's some thoughts on my own life that I found in my own life to help me be the spiritual leader. Number one is spiritual leadership is always going first. The war cry in the Jewish army in the, old day, in the olden days was two words, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. When Jesus recruited his disciples, what was really cool is the two words he used to recruit his disciples is follow me. You see this in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. This was the war cry that David used when he went out to battle. Men, follow me. Follow me as I go into battle. I'll go first. I'll be the one to go in first. I'm not going to sit on the back lines and let you guys die. I'm going first. Follow me. And when you saw the general going first, it inspired everyone else to want to go with him. But it took somebody to say, follow me. Paul continues with the same directive in his, to his disciples when he says in Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And then in the NIV it says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, dealing with a lot of men and marriage issues. I hear this a lot. If my wife would just be nicer to me, if my wife would just respect me, then I would love her the way she wants to be loved. Well, if she has to respect and she has to talk nice first, who's the leader? You or her? Because here's what the leader does. The leader always goes first. The leader always says, follow me. The leader's always the one going to his wife and saying, hey, we got to fix this. We got to fix this. When we wait for our wives to change before we change, we're honestly saying to our wives, I expect you to lead in this. I won't budge until you budge. That right there is what's called immature. And guess what? I've done it many times. Many times. Second thing I know about spiritual leadership is the reason I struggle to grow in my faith as a father is because the cost gets too high. It's not a personality issue. It's not where I'm from. It's not being from, from Bushland or Amarillo or Dallas. It's it's not the family you grew up in. The reason most of us will quit growing in our leadership as fathers is because the cost gets too high. Oswald Sanders in his book, Spiritual Leadership, said, True greatness, true leadership is achieved not by reducing men to one's service, but in giving oneself in selfless service to them. And this is never done without cost. It involves drinking a bitter cup of experience in a painful baptism of suffering. The true spiritual leader is concerned infinitely more with the service he can render God and his fellow man than with the benefits and pleasures he can extract from life. 
He aims to put more into life than he takes out of life. And Jesus said in Luke 14, 28, count the cost. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to count the cost. What does he mean by that? It means this, guys. If we're going to be spiritual leaders in our home, we're going to have to pay. We're going to have to pay. And you understand this. I mean, my wife and I, we go on dates. And, you know, if, I, if, if it was up to me, a lot of times, especially when I was younger, if we were going to go on a date, go get some dinner, I mean, Taco Bell, Burger King, that's pretty good. I mean, you pay about 12, 13 bucks, get a Whopper, get some fries. We're full. We're good. What more is there? But not Debbie. We have this place in Phoenix where we're from called Black Angus. Anyone ever been to Black Angus? It's kind of like your salt grass. Are you with me? Anyone been to salt grass? Come on, salt grass. Give me some love for salt grass right there. I'm telling you, it's Father's Day. Debbie liked Black Angus. Black Angus, you got in these tables, and there was these huge booths they put you in. The walls were super high. And so it was just you and her. Nobody could really hear your conversation. And then you had a waitress or a waiter come and attend to you, which is funny that they call them waiters because we're the ones waiting on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, anyways. So we're waiting on them, and they give us a salad, and then you eat your salad. Then they give you some bread. Bread was good. Then they bring you your meal. And we would always have these two-for-one deals. Like you buy, you know, get these coupons in the paper. It's like $35. You get two meals. And it always came with this dessert. We never could feel the dessert because the dessert was like this huge piece of chocolate bread, chocolate cake with, you know, fudge all over. So good. But I'm going to tell you something. It cost me some money to go to Black Angus. More than Taco Bell. More than Burger King. But it was worth it. It was worth it. Because she's worth it. Anything that's going to be done good in life is going to cost you something. Anything worth having is going to cost you something. Your wife didn't want just a gold band. She wanted the diamond on the ring. Why? Because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. So what is it going to cost us? It's going to cost us really killing our flesh. Romans 8, 12 through 17 says this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Guys, here's the reality. All of us are called to be spiritual leaders, men and women. And the thing that holds us back from being the true spiritual leaders is really what's inside us, our flesh. And the Bible says there's a war going on between your flesh and your spirit. And the thing that's going to cost us if we're really going to love another woman, our wives, our children, and really be the fathers we're supposed to be, we've got to be willing to kill something that's very difficult to kill, and that's our flesh. I can remember in 2004, I was running for, in a marathon, and I had been training for the entire year. I trained with this guy. And at the end of 2000, at the beginning of 2004, we were going to run this race. We trained all in 2003. At the beginning of 2004, we were going to run this race. And I was running this race, and at the end of the race, I met a pastor who I just started going to his church. 
And we were on a golf course one day, and, he said, and I said, hey, will you buy me some food? I forgot my wallet. Will you buy me some food? He said, sure, I'll buy you food. So I went to go get the meal, and I said, what do you want? He goes, I don't want anything. I go, why don't you want anything? He goes, I'm fasting today. I go, what do you mean you're fasting? He goes, I'm fasting. He goes, every Thursday I fast. I go, you do? You fast every Thursday? I thought he was crazy. This guy's crazy. Now, I remember he gave me a set of tapes called Spiritual Disciplines. It's 2004. I listened to these tapes, and on the tapes, it talked about all the disciplines you can do to really become spiritually going after God. I'd never heard these kind of things. Fasting, praying, read your Bible. Now, I heard those things, but I never heard it in the regiment that this guy was doing it in. The last thing he said is this. Find out who you admire the most. Find out what they do spiritually and beat them. I'm like, I can do that. So I went to my pastor. What do you do? He told me his list. I said, I'm going to beat you. Went back home, put it all together. And I did. I, I, I took what he did, and I, I just beat him in each one of the categories. And I remember going to Debbie saying, Debbie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing this. One of the things that was asking me to do was go to bed early and get up early. I was not an early riser. I liked my nights, and I liked to sleep in. I'd get up just in time to have my quick, quiet time and get to work. Are you following me? And God said, I want you to get up early. So it was 5 o'clock in the morning. So I want you to go to bed at 9. Well, 9 o'clock to when we put the kids to bed, it was kind of Debbie and I's time to be together. And at first, because I, didn't, I was a dumb husband, I didn't know how to communicate this today, what I was doing. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And she's like, well, I don't like that because that was our time. And I felt like God said, you got to do this. And for the few, first few weeks, Debbie was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And that's good for you, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. And so I just started doing it. I just felt like I, I've got to get, i got to be a better spiritual leader in our home. So I started doing it. About two weeks went by, and about 5.30, she came out of the, in the room, into the living room, and I said, what are you doing here? She goes, well, I'm mad at you. I go, why are you mad at me? She goes, because you've already done your quiet time. You've already worked out, and I'm just getting up. And then I spend the whole day trying to figure out when I'm going to do my quiet time and my workout, and you're done. I said, so you're going to start getting up? She goes, yeah, I'm going to start getting up. I said, well, if you're going to start getting up, how about you pray from 5 to 6. I'll pray from 5 to 6, and then at 6, we'll get together and we'll pray together. Now, we'd been married for 10 years at that time, and we had never had an intentional time where her and I prayed together, ever. We would pray for food. We'd pray for the kids that were sick. But it was never a time where she and I just got together and said, we're going to pray for our family, for our lives, for what we're doing. And I got to tell you, something changed at that moment. One was we started fasting and I started killing my flesh. Because, guys, what I didn't realize is my flesh was killing me. It was killing me as a spiritual leader. It was causing me to be angry with my wife be angry with life, and I really had to start changing who I was, but the other thing it did is started, started putting tension between us, and we started changing in this way, God started building us up as a family. So this is what God showed me. How do we kill our flesh? Number one, we had to fight to stay in God's presence. Here's what I didn't know my whole life. I had sin that would, I would struggle with my whole life, and I would try to stop sinning, stop sinning, and here's what God said. Get in my presence, and you'll stop sinning. See, 1 Corinthians in 3.17 says, Now this Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. What the Bible doesn't say is the absence of sin is free. It does say where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now listen to this. When I'm in the presence of God, I won't sin. When I'm trying to fight sin, I fall into sin over and over and over again. Do you follow me? So I had to fight to be in the presence of God. James says, men, that the, the enemy, what he does, he tries to take you away and get you alone, isolate you. Then he presents sin to you, and then you fall. What's he trying to get you away from? He's trying to get you away from the presence of God. Here's the real battle in your life. Could you fight to get in the presence of God? If you really want to be the father and the husband of the home that's really leading this, you've got to learn to fight to be in his presence. Maybe that means turn off your radio, or maybe it means just put on some worship music. Maybe it means that you're going to get up a little bit early and pray. Maybe that means you're going to find other men in your life to connect with, to get closer to God. But you've got to fight to be in his presence. The next thing you do is you got to get in spiritual training. Listen to these scriptures. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Everyone say all things. What this means is if you're training yourself in godliness, everything in your life is going to improve. You're struggling in your business right now? Fight for God and your business is going to improve. You're struggling in your marriage right now? Fight for God and your marriage is going to improve. You're struggling with your kids right now? Fight for God. The Bible says all things will improve when you fight to get in the presence of God. Then listen to this. Hebrews 12 says this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Everyone say painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That word trained in the Greek is a word we get gymazo, G-Y-M-A-Z-O. It's also the word where we get gymnasium. It's where you train. Here's what I didn't know growing up. My dad didn't teach me this. If you're really going to be the spiritual leader in your home, you got to take it like you took baseball. You got to go to practice. Like you played football. You got to go to practice. I mean, we understand that. A lot of times we think we went to church and we've done our thing, and so now we can go back to work and do our thing. But I'm going to tell you something. If that's all you're giving, you're missing out on what it really means to be the spiritual leader of your home and your family suffering. But if you will go to practice and train, Get up, read your word, pray, pray over your family, grab your wife, pray with your wife, pray with your kids. Learn to fast. Fasting's a whole nother superpower I don't have the time to talk about. But Jesus says some demons only come out through prayer and fasting. In other words, fasting is powerful. When you learn to do these things, you start practicing every day. Here's what I know. When the game time comes, you'll be ready to play the game. See, Jesus said this, there's two houses, one's built on the sand, one's built on the rock. He said, they look the same. They all look the same. I look around this room, you all look the same. You're all dressed real nice, you're pretty, good-looking people from Bushland, Texas, Amarillo. Good-looking, you all look the same. And I can look at you and go, man, that guy must be real spiritual, or that lady must be real spiritual. Man, that family's probably just got it going on. And a lot of us, we come into church like this, this is what we think, because we all kind of look the same. He says, the difference is this, when the storm comes, do you stand on the rock or you stand on the sand? Because if you're standing on the sand, the Bible says you'll crumble, you'll fall. But if you're standing on God's rock, you'll stand firm in the storm. 
Here's what that means. Every single one of us is going to go through storms. And if we're not practicing to be in God's presence, we're going to fall. Our families aren't going to make it. Guys, look at me real quick. Look at me, fathers, real quick. We're losing our families. In America today, we're losing our families. If we don't stand up as fathers and start fighting to get in the presence of God, forget what everyone else is doing, forget how much your wife hurt you yesterday, forget all that. God's calling you to fight to be in his presence. If you will do that, God will change your world. And you'll be able to stand firm when the storms come. Last story is Peter and John. Peter just denied Jesus three times. And it was the first time he was going to be reinstated with Jesus. And he finds Jesus on the side of, a, of the shore. And Peter's coming in off a fishing night. And he smells fish being cooked. Jesus was cool. He didn't have to catch fish. They came to him. He just starts cooking it up right there. That he could smell breakfast. Have you ever been camping? That smell, you know that smell? It's the best smell, you know, bacon on there. But it's fish. And he's cooking the fish. Peter runs out. And Jesus says, do you love me, Pete? He says, sure, you know I love you. He says, no, do you really love me, Peter? Yes. He says, the third time when Jesus asked him, Peter got almost exasperated. Like, you know I love you. You know, why do you keep asking me this? And then he talks to him about how he's going to die. And the same fear that Peter had the night he betrayed Jesus, he didn't want to die, so he denied Jesus. That same fear, Jesus said, you're going to die just like I died, Peter. And all of a sudden, Peter realized what Jesus was doing. And he goes, well, what about John? What about John? What is he going to have to do? And Jesus says, Peter, it doesn't matter what John does. You must follow me. And he used the same words he brought all back with. You follow me. Men, here's what I want to tell you. I don't know what your neighbor's doing. I don't know what your dad's doing. I don't know what your brother's doing. You've got to stand up today and say, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything in my being. And when you do, I'm going to tell you, your life's going to get much better. Because when the storms come, you won't fall. Not that storms won't come, but when they come, you won't fall. You will be able to stand the test of time to make it through the storms that God's given you. Because that's what God's destiny is for your life. Amen? If you're a father here, I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you before we leave today. Before you pray, I just want you to look at me, fathers. Don't grow weary in doing good. Paul said this to his disciples all the time. Don't grow weary in doing good because he knew we'd grow weary. Men, we grow weary at times. We get tired. We got a lot of burdens on our backs. We got, we got to provide for the families. We got to keep the kids in order. We got to do all the things we have to do. It's just, we grow weary. But God says, don't grow weary in doing good. Paul in Galatians says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Don't grow weary in doing good for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. So what I'm going to pray for you is that scripture today that you will have a spirit inside you that will not give up. That when you grow weary, when the storms hit, that you'll look to God and not to man and to something else. Are you with me? Let's pray. If you're around one of these guys, will you just lay your hands on them? Father, I just lift up every single father in this room. Father, there are fathers in this room that are tired right now. They've been going through a lot. Maybe they're struggling their finances. Maybe they're struggling their marriage. 
Maybe one of their kids have left home and they're not living for God anymore and they're struggling in that area. God, I just pray right now, Lord, that your spirit would just quicken them. Lord, I pray right now that you would just touch them. God, for the fathers in this room that are doing well, Lord, I pray that they would become leaders in this church, Lord. They would take a step further and say, I want to volunteer. I want to help out. I want to serve. I want to give to other men to help them become stronger in Christ. And Lord, to those that don't even know you in this room that are fathers, Lord, I pray today they'd be able to introduce themselves to you. And Lord, you would receive them as your own. And they'd receive you as their Savior. God, I pray for these fathers. Lord, it matters to be a father. The impact they have is great. Father, bless them today on this Father's Day. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.